Welcome to the Professional Drinkers Podcast, brought to you by choosesunrise.co.uk. I'm Janet Hadley, and this is for you if you're an HR professional, a business owner, or a leader who'd like to explore the drinking culture in your workplace. I'll bring you lived experience stories, expert views, and tips for creating an alcohol-safe workplace without killing the buzz. Welcome back to the Professional Drinkers podcast. Thank you so much for being here um, on this lovely autumn week with all the leaves um, being golden, sunshine everywhere. And oh, I just love this time of year. I think it's magical. I really do. We've just had a couple of days up in Northumberland as well. And it was it was just stunning, actually, the blue sky and all the autumn leaves absolutely lovely it's so nice to be able to wake up sober and get up and enjoy these beautiful mornings and uh, I've also got a bit of an update for you about the cold water swimming as well for those of you who've been following my cold water journey um, I have bought myself something called an arctic pod <laughs> which is basically um what, how would I describe it it's a little bit like a paddling pool for grown-ups <laughs> so it's kind of like a barrel shape and you fill it with cold water and the challenge is to get in it every day over the winter so I'm doing pretty well so far I've been in every day apart from days when I'm completely away from home and uh, it's definitely getting harder <laughs> definitely um, so if you look out on my socials I'll probably be posting a couple of pictures of that in the in the next few days if you want to know more um, so just looking at some of the stuff that's going on in the alcohol-free world this week there was a really interesting article in the Daily Mail um, which I hate, by the way, I can't stand the Daily Mail. It was an article blaming the mummy wine culture for why UK women are some of the biggest binge drinkers in the world. So there's a lot of truth in this article, uh, which is, you know, a little bit unusual for the Daily Mail, actually. It is true that the women in the UK are some of the biggest binge drinkers in the world. There's no doubt about that. It might surprise you to learn that only 25% of women in the world actually drink alcohol. So 75% of all the women in all the countries in all the world are sober. I was really shocked when I found that out. And I thought, well, within that 25%, women in the UK are kind of towards the top end of that. And then I was one of probably the heaviest drinking women in the UK, potentially, which puts me in, you know, you've got to be top of something. But it turns out I think I was probably one of the top drinking women in the world, which is something that I'm really not very proud of. It really does put it into context when you start to look at the statistics. It's so normalised in this country that we drink to excess, that we think that everyone does it. And it's just simply not true. It's also true in the article that mummy wine culture definitely does have a lot to answer for. And I do agree with the Daily Mail about that. Um, I used to have this glass that said uh, small glass of wine, large glass of wine, mum's glass of wine with three markers on it. And the, the mum's glass was obviously right at the top. And we just used to laugh. It. We just used to think that it was funny. And and it it was, you know, it it was funny until it wasn't anymore and I look back on it and think it, all of these little things they add up to this sense that it's okay to binge drink it's okay to drink to excess every single weekend it's okay to have a glass of wine every single day 
And we don't have any counter arguments to that. We don't really have enough of a narrative telling us that actually these things are not okay and that they're really harmful for your mental and physical health. Um, So I do agree that that kind of mummy wine culture has a lot to answer for. I think it would be useful for the Daily Mail to perhaps mention their contribution to, you know, the dozens of red wine is good for you type articles that they've run over the years and the huge amounts of revenue that they'll have generated by advertising alcohol. But hey, you know, you can't have everything. Um, What else has happened this week? So I had a really interesting phone call from someone this week from someone who has never drunk alcohol. So they weren't looking for my help with alcohol as such but they were looking for my help on overcoming an issue that they were having with uh, someone who they described as a, a person in their circle of friends who they like and respect who basically will not stop asking them if they're an alcoholic which is so interesting so this guy has never drunk alcohol they just don't like it you know it's not that they've had an issue they've just never really drunk and yet he's now worrying that there's other people in his circle of friends or colleagues who assume that he's an alcoholic and he's really worried about the stigma of that and being judged for it it's so interesting like I don't know anybody who doesn't smoke and has never smoked and isn't interested in smoking who is worried about the stigma of not smoking I don't know anyone who's never taken crack cocaine, who's not worried, you know, who's worried about the stigma of not taking crack cocaine. And yet with alcohol, there's this enormous and strange stigma that surrounds being a non-drinker. And actually, I, I, I really felt for him. I think the answer, though, is not to actually convince this person that you're not an alcoholic, but is to convince this person that being an alcoholic shouldn't carry stigma. Uh, But yeah, perhaps it's a little bit of an uphill battle. Um, It struck me that his story is actually really similar to my guest this week. So my guest is Mandy Withers, um, who is a wonderful, warm and friendly person who reached out to me. She runs a supportive community of HR independence called the Talk HR Club. And I joined that community And Mandy gave me a shout out and uh, we had a Zoom chat because she wanted to share with me her story about not drinking, which is really fascinating and actually quite similar to the call that I had this week where she was feeling an enormous amount of pressure to drink from people around her and also some of that stigma about not being a drinker. And it's very interesting. So that's why I've called this week's episode Sober in a World of Drinkers. Um, And let's just have a listen to Mandy's story and just think about the peer pressure and the unhelpful comments and the judgment that people experience and just ask ourselves, can we stop this, please? Can we, what can we do to create a world where it's okay to say, I don't drink? (laughs) So enjoy the interview. Hello, Mandy. It's lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you, Janet. Thank you so much for having me today. It's great. Um, I'm really looking forward to this conversation, actually. Um, So we're going to start off by 
hearing a little bit from you, Mandy, about the HR network that you run, if that's okay. Yeah, thanks, Janet. Yes, I run a network called the Talk HR Club, which is purely for independent HR consultants. It's a place where we come together, we connect, we, we collaborate, support and share. And it's been going in essence about four years, but we formally launched it last year with its own platform, which is great. And it's that sense of belonging and um, we're growing all the time. And we've just come back from our first annual retreat, which was amazing. Oh, it was in lovely. a place called Campwell and we camped out under bell tents and yurts and um, we literally totally relaxed for the weekend we did some meditation yoga journaling and really coming together of like-minded people and a lot of oh, laughter wonderful. as well laughter so good for the soul Definitely. so good for the soul that's i really wanted to book onto this retreat and uh, various things meant that i couldn't this year but next year Absolutely. i'm gonna be at the front of the queue because you're limiting numbers as well aren't you we are um, to yeah keep it we're gonna nice keep it to 12 or 14 yeah i think that's about right isn't it yeah um to create that i don't know just that safe space isn't it mm. um i saw some of your pictures on linkedin by the way it wasn't it wasn't really camping was it It was glamping it was I'm glamping yes yeah we <laughs> did our facilities and um yeah we even had a sauna in the in the woods as well which was magical wow yeah oh so the was... year looked amazing yes yeah, full it of really did surprises look beautiful. Yeah. Oh, it looks so good. Oh, I'm quite jealous, I have to say. <laughs> um, so, Mandy, it was an interesting way that we met, really, wasn't it? Because I joined the network online um, and then you reached out to me. And I just wanted to ask you, really, a little bit about why specifically you decided to reach out to me. I think um, a lot of the things that you were saying resonated with me, particularly as I'm a, a non-drinker myself. But your values kind of um, aligned with my own and I can see the work that you're doing and I'm looking at, well, how can I help you spread the word and actually give people the support and the resources that they need? So, oh, Mandy, that's just lovely. How heartwarming. Thank you. Thank you. I know. And I, I, I really appreciate it because you know, when you're setting out in business, as you know yourself, and, and this is really why you run your network, isn't it? But you can feel a little bit alone sometimes. And there's definitely been times where I felt, I'm not sure the world's quite ready for this message. And, you know, I get pockets of immense support and pockets of people saying that'll never work. And actually, I think that's probably the best thing for a business model, actually. Yeah, I think you've got to listen to your to heart. Heads. Definitely. <laughs> Keep doing what you're doing. Quite right. Yeah, no, my heart is what drives me. Absolutely. Mm. It really is. And yeah, it's been great to connect with you. Um, we've talked a little bit about this when we've been off the podcast, but for the listeners, it'd be great, Mandy, if you'd be happy to share a little bit about your own relationship with alcohol. Yeah. Um, thank okay. you. So if I go back to my corporate days, I used to work long hours, uh, I had a lot of responsibility, a lot of stress. And drink was my sort of go-to. I was never a big drinker, but I would have an evening meal. I'd have a glass of wine. But Friday night was my night when I would literally put on my pyjamas and I'd have, you know, quite a few glasses of wine. Yeah. And that was my sort of, I thought it was a way of de-stressing. But I ate it the next morning when I felt that fog and feeling I couldn't really do the things I wanted to do to full effect. 
and um, it was literally not a nice feeling. I and I never read, but I still kept doing it because that was my sort of my time on a Friday night. And then we'd go out on a Saturday night as a couple with friends who drank. I, I don't think I really knew any non-drinkers back then. I think everybody were drinkers. Um, and that, that would be it. And then through the week, I'd have just one glass of wine with a meal. But I recognised it just wasn't great. But I still kept doing it because that was just become a way of life, really. Yeah. And then, just... I, yeah. I recognised then when I went through a personal situation, um, I was going through a divorce and uh, my husband had left, I found the stress really unbearable. And I remember one night getting a bottle of wine and looking at it thinking, I could drink all of this or I could actually say, I don't need it. And I remember not keeping alcohol in the house because if I didn't have it in the house, I couldn't drink it. So I started to look at healthier habits. Um, you know, I started gradually, but I never really gave it up completely. And it was only when shortly after my divorce, I had a heart condition and I, they put that down to stress because I threw myself into my own business at that time. I was running my business with a team of six people and I just threw myself into the business and I got sick. So I had to have an intervention, I had to have a procedure, and uh, it got me right. And then after that procedure, they said, it's still not complete. We're going to need to bring you back into um, into hospital for another procedure. And I started thinking about, well, I need to do everything I can do to get fit, healthy as possible I can. So in the January of 2017, I took up um, Dry January as a challenge. And after 30 days, I thought that was not difficult. I might try 60 days. And during that second month in February was my second procedure. So again, 60 days, not a problem. I got to the third month in March and I thought 90 days. And from there on in, since 2017, I haven't drunk. And I can't tell you the personal benefits like it's just amazing not having that foggy brain, having more energy, going out with friends and telling them like what they got up to last night. They said, what did I do last night? And say it was so entertaining. absolutely loved it. Um, always been the first one up when I've gone out with friends after the night before and um, saving loads of money as well. And yeah. my recycling was a lot better. You didn't, didn't see the empty <laughs> bottles. Um, it was just just a new way of life really and I think I was almost to the point working towards it but I hadn't quite given it up until 2017 and now you know it's it's just just who I am and I think people yeah. often say if you don't drink you must be boring or people don't want to let their hair down in front of you but when people really know me and what that I, I get a big kick out of life I don't need a drink um so yeah it's just been I can't believe it's six and a half years. Wow. Wow. And you did that all on your own as well. Yeah. Like no support groups, no help. No. Wow. It was, I Amazing. set it as a challenge, really. Yeah. Yeah. Hats off to you, Mandy. Your story is very similar to mine in lots of ways in that I was a, a, a typical drinker, really, drinking after work to de-stress. 
then I had a loss. You know, for me, it was the loss of my husband's health. For you, it was the divorce. Then your drinking sort of escalates a bit and you start questioning it. For me, I actually had to, well, had to, I don't know, but I I went and got some counselling and therapy and found solace in sobriety groups and they really helped me. I don't know how I would have done that on my own I don't know whether I would have been able to or not but hats off to you because that's incredible and it's like you say it's the benefits isn't there afterwards Mm. and I just wanted to pick up on a a couple of things that you said so in your corporate life you were drinking to de-stress which I think is very common did you ever have any well-being provision in those corporate jobs so no, I think back, I'm going, I've been in HR for 28 years, so I recognise dealing with people issues, there needed to be uh, a strategy around well-being. So we used to do um, bits and pieces, but it was never a coherent strategy. Um, yeah. and, and the responsibility tended to be on my shoulders, so I was constantly reaching out to providers I even went to the Department of Health and said, what can you do? I'm coming across really complex issues. Um, and then, you know, there was lots of issues with drugs, alcohol. Um, yeah. Oh, gosh, it was like you'd done your HR, but it was like, well, suddenly I'm not prepared for all of these things and seeing performance being affected, seeing people's lives falling apart and knowing that, you know, a lot of them weren't looking after their well-being and there was no... Yeah. No, no real support. It was a bit ad hoc. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, it's one of my observations as I stopped drinking was that I must have attended a hundred workplace wellbeing seminars and never heard the word alcohol mentioned, and yet mm. alcohol was the thing that was putting a wrecking ball through every single pillar of my wellbeing. Yeah. Doesn't really matter how many yoga classes you go to if you drink half a bottle of wine after each one, it doesn't really help. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's why I'm so passionate about helping employers to add alcohol into that workplace wellbeing program and to give them proper support. Um, And the other piece that I think really resonated with me was when you said, I didn't know anyone who didn't drink. Mm. Um, That was very similar for me as well. I didn't know anyone who didn't drink and I didn't think it was really possible to function in our society without drinking. Mm. I thought I'd just be an outcast really and have no friends or no fun ever again. And the opposite is true. It's so interesting. Yeah. And, Sometimes I think it's just about providing that little spark of inspiration for people um, to see someone who's a little bit like them, but but they don't drink and they're happy. And mm. it's like, oh, maybe it's possible. Yeah, and I, <laughs> just maybe yeah it's I do possible. remember a time with friends. I went away on a city break and I felt pressurized because they were all drinking yes. and they were, well, you know, you don't you're not driving. You can have a drink. You know, why don't you have a drink? And I actually gave in to peer pressure and I was really annoyed with myself. And I remember one of the group, he's a fireman, so he doesn't drink. Um, And this is only a few years back. And I actually gave in because I felt like it was pressure. And I gave in and in the end, I was not happy at all. And I remember sitting at dinner and they started talking about drinking and I absolutely spoke my truth and I said, I've just given in to pressure and it feels like bullying. And I'm so annoyed with myself. 
then I took a drink. It was a cocktail um, when I didn't really want it, but I was trying to fit in and it was like, it's not what I'm about. And yeah. um, and he came up to me afterwards, the, the fireman, he said, I watched it and he said, I'm so glad you spoke your truth because that's where pressure, people put pressure on others. And then suddenly they're, they're, they're drinking again. But they all came yeah. back and said, oh, that's not our intention. And there was no bad intention there at all. But they, they, they did admit to me, it's like, when we have a drink and we're being funny, we think you're perhaps judging us. I'm like, oh, my God, no way. I absolutely yeah. love seeing you enjoy yourself. But I don't need to have a drink. You know, I can still yes. enjoy myself, but I don't need to. And they were like, oh, okay. So it was like they were more worried about what they looked like and how they were being. So it's yeah. quite interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. And I have to admit that as a drinker, I think if I'm really honest, there's definitely been times when I've been that person saying, oh, go on, have a drink, come mm. on, join in, because I couldn't understand how that other person could possibly enjoy themselves without alcohol. I just thought that they must be sitting there miserable, trying not to drink. Mm. It didn't occur to me that they might be completely happy to not drink. Yeah. And so I can see it from both points of view. Um, and that's why it's so important to educate people and for the people who don't drink to have more of a voice and to explain to the people who do drink mm. <laughs> that, you know, it's not okay to try and persuade us to drink mm. and we actually are happy. Like you don't need to keep telling us that we're missing out. Like yeah. we've tried it and we've chosen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite a subtle shift, but it can be really beneficial for both parties. Actually. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I remember another time when I think I'd gone to a rugby match and I offered to buy a round and I was drinking squash and it came yeah. to like 35 pounds. And I was thinking, that's an expensive glass of squash. So you start <laughs> to look at that sort of, you know, whether people query, well, you're in a round, but you're not drinking. And yeah. for me to drink and catch, keep up with them, I would never keep up with like six to eight glasses of squash. I just wouldn't no. drink that much squash or whatever. I was drinking lemonade or something. So eventually then people start to say, oh, we know you're not in the round. So that, and that's fine. And I would just yeah, get a drink yeah. as and when I needed it. Exactly. You know, yeah, I know. I do drink. think it's a good point that it's something that people struggle with a little bit when they first stop. And it's about having some boundaries around it, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, do you really want it? I mean, I if I'm out with my work colleagues and I if I'm the boss, like mm. if I'm if it's my team, I'll buy them a round of drinks yeah. because that's what you do as a boss. Yeah. That's absolutely fine. But I don't necessarily then want to be drawn into ongoing rounds of drinks when they're all you know topping up etc yeah. i'd rather be out of it yeah and same with my friends you know i'd never go in a round of drink with my drinks with my friends because my drinks like you say is lime and soda or something and it's yeah <laughs> it's just not yeah. i don't want to be spending seven eight quid on glasses of wine for other people to be honest sorry yeah. guys yeah. <laughs> but you know it's one of the great benefits of being sober it's like you've got discount vouchers everywhere you go yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely it's yeah, it's but it's, I think it's educating and, and you know, and, and often, I mean, in the early days, I used to have people say, well, why are you not drinking? Have you got a problem? Oh, got a problem? What do you mean? You know, I said, I've got no problem with drink. Um, I'm doing it to to be the best that I can be in terms of my health. It's, it's a conscious yeah. choice. Yeah. 
Isn't it interesting? I saw a really good post on Instagram the other week and it said, it's really strange. I'm the only alcoholic and I'm the only person ordering an alcohol-free drink. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, I, I, um, do, I do think the choice of non-alcohol drinks is not great. You know, I do get a bit yeah. fed to drinking lime and soda or you have a look. And, you know, I went to a wedding the other day and it was an outdoor wedding and it was a, it was a friend and his daughter got married. And the only choice, if you didn't drink, was a J2O, a lemonade, J2O lemonade. That's all they had. Yeah. So she, she poured awful, me a glass of lemonade yeah. and it was £3.80. And she poured out of White's. <laughs> Oh, white's lemonade. Yeah. I said, there you go. And I thought, I don't know how many of these I can drink tonight, you know. Um, yeah. But that's all that was available. It's dreadful. Yeah, it is. And things like weddings and private functions, they're quite often the worst places, actually, for alcohol-free options. Um, I, I have um, a business that I collaborate with called the Alcohol-Free Drinks Company, and they they actually are starting to get into wedding venues which is brilliant because yeah. there's so there's always a good chunk of people who go to a wedding who don't drink and they're never never catered for and it's a no. long time isn't it when you're there all day and all evening yeah to be drinking our white's lemonade or whatever yeah even you can't even get a cup of tea sometimes no. oh <laughs> it's hard and actually, if you go to a pub you know sometimes you want a cup of tea or coffee and some just don't do it properly you think no oh gosh I, i'm gonna give that a miss so yeah, yeah. you are... things are getting a little bit better yeah. a little bit um but it's always the big alcohol brands and you know they've got the distri distribution i understand it but there's such an explosion of innovation in this space mm. and so many great small producers making brilliant alcohol free drinks and it's it's really tragic actually that they can't get into mm. the mainstream distribution yeah um, yeah i don't know how to influence it really but i want i so want it to change because i'd love to be able to go and get a, a kombucha mm. or like something from myth drinks who do this amazing alcohol free coconut drink which is beautiful yes. and you just yeah, you yeah. can only drink them at home, really. Yeah. My partner Sometimes always I likes sneak, weddings because he them. gets he gets my drinks. So you'll have your oh, toast. Course, you'll have, yeah. yeah. So um, <laughs> and sometimes we've gone out for an evening and it's been a special deal on. It could be steak and wine or something. So he's like, oh, that means I get two glasses of wine. I've got and I'm pushing the glass <laughs> yeah. across the table and he's like, oh great, yeah, there you go. But, yeah. but actually, it does have an impact when you don't drink around others around you. So I've noticed with my partner, he always used to have a drink uh, with his meal. He doesn't now. And when we go out, yeah. you know, there are times when he drives, so he doesn't drink. So as he's got older, his drinking consumption has slowed right down. Yeah. Same for my husband. Mm. He's, I, it turns out, I think I was the ringleader in our um nightly drinking and when i don't drink he generally doesn't either yeah. um he gets drunk i could count on one hand the times i've seen him drunk since i stopped drinking yeah it's really influenced his behavior and i think it's quite common actually yeah um yeah which is great actually because it's having a really positive impact on yeah. both of our physical and mental health which is is fantastic um I wanted to ask you, um, with your kind of HR head on then, what kind of advice would you potentially have for other 
HR managers, perhaps the ones who are out there in corporate, when they're thinking about their culture in relation to this topic? Yeah, I think, you know, they need to be thinking about everyone in the organisation. They need to be inclusive. Um, you know, and it doesn't take a lot. You mentioned some great producers of non-alcoholic um, drinks that really just think about they cater for everybody um, because it doesn't take much. We're organising a Christmas function and we know it'll be either Prosecco or orange juice. So we're going to go to them and say, look, have you got something else rather than orange juice? And even yeah. if it's like no Secco, you know, which looks yes. like everybody's getting a drink if that's what they want. Um, but to give, you know, a bit more choice than just orange juice. But I think it's about education. It's recognising as HR, they can bring in the support, the resources um, through education. It does work. I mean, I think I read a statistic the other day, it might have been from yourself, that actually said, you know, 20, was it 75% of women uh, don't drink? Yeah, in in worldwide, worldwide, 75% of women don't drink, which is a staggering number, isn't it? I so it. I know, I couldn't either. So we're, as, drink, as women who drink, we're in the minority worldwide. Yeah. And then if you're towards the top end of the spectrum of women who drink in the UK, what that means is you're probably towards the top end of the spectrum of women who drink in the whole world. And that, yeah. for me, was a little bit scary. Yeah. You just think, well, yeah, of course you're going to get health issues. Yeah. Of course you are. And did you say, I think I, you said the other day, 20% of the world's population are non-drinkers? 20% in the UK. Oh, UK. So, yeah, wow. 20% of people in the UK don't drink and half of the world's population drink. Uh, in fact, no, sorry. Oh, I'll have to re I'll have to cut that bit out. It is twenty percent of people in the UK don't drink and sixty-six percent of people in the world don't drink. So only a third of the world are drinkers. Which I was shocked by. But yeah. then when you think about it, a lot of people won't be able to afford it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And but I also think so you... much of it is marketing as well. You yeah. know, countries where it's not heavily marketed. Mm. all the muslim countries in the world there's all sorts of reasons why people don't drink it it does make you realize how much marketing plays a role actually yeah big time and also I, i've noticed i mean if i look back at the women in my family as they got older and they went through menopause you started to see them stop drinking because it often exacerbated the, uh, the symptoms um, with menopause, perimenopause, menopause. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, there was a, and I remember my grand, she'd only have the sherry at Christmas and she wouldn't yeah. drink the rest <laughs> of the year. It'd be like really special yeah. for her to have a sherry at Christmas. But, yeah. you know, they didn't have the um, education or the information. Now we can go on Google and ask anything. There's so much data out there. Um, but there's so many things that we can do individually or as a company just to keep looking after people and making sure that they are looking after themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And it is quite often a bit of an elephant, I think, in the wellbeing room. Like you say, we do think about other aspects of women's health, you know, like you say, menopause and fertility issues. We think yeah. about physical health and mental health and we don't necessarily connect the dots with alcohol but actually alcohol can underpin and exacerbate a lot of those problems that women experience so yeah. anyone experiencing fertility problems 
really should try mm. stopping drinking. Yeah. Um, and anyone who's experiencing severe menopause symptoms, I would definitely advocate that they try sobriety out and just yeah. see, just see what happens to the symptoms. Yeah. We process alcohol um, less effectively as we age. Mm. Um, and you can feel that on, if you've, you know, on a Sunday morning, if you think, God, I used to be able to go out and drink all night and now I have two glasses of wine and I feel dreadful. Yeah. And that's a big signal from your body telling you, that it's time to change that behavior yeah. we just choose to ignore it yeah. <laughs> yeah because a lot of it's social pressure actually yeah, yeah. and it's habit isn't it i've got a friend that's yeah. um, a big gin drinker and there's only certain drink uh, gin that she can drink and it's to do with the botanical so she will like we'll go out of an evening and i'm quite easy because they know i'm not I know it'll be a diet coke lime soda whatever and she's looking at the drinks and she said we can't stay here and I go, but why? Oh, because they haven't got my gin. I kid you not. We have to go to another place so that she can go there. And she says it's because she gets a really bad, upset stomach. She's actually paid privately, but she can't She can't give up that social drink. She's a social smoker as well. So it's just like it's so habit-forming. She's in her 60s yeah. and she's like, well, I've, I've done this all my life. I just can't change it. That's a mindset yeah, thing. Yeah, but it is a mindset thing. Yeah, so, it's such a shame because there is freedom from that on the gosh, other side. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. you can just get through the difficult bit at the beginning, there really mm. is freedom, isn't there? Yeah. yeah, but you've got to want it. Yeah, you've and there's no it. good, you know, I would never judge anybody or, or preach to anyone. It's got to come from no. within. You've got to make that exactly. conscious choice to say that's this is exactly what I want. Right. Exactly that. And that's where we sit waiting for people who were ready yeah absolutely then scooping them up and helping them yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) which is very rewarding yeah um so going back to your kind of hr hat again what sort of mistakes have you noticed are made by employers when it comes to alcohol there's so many um i mean look back on some of the things and and they're still occurring now so I've seen examples where you've got a high functioning individual who drinks to excess, but they still do their job, but there's some underlying mental health issues, but they've got so great at their job, but almost to the point that they're heading towards suicide as well. So drink oh, helps so them sad. to yeah. sort of block yeah. things out, create some sort of denial, but it, it it stops working and they're, they're in despair. So that happened to me in my career when I was quite young and not knowing what to do and going to the senior team and saying, what do I do? You know, there's no support. Um, and luckily that that person did have counselling and absolutely fine today. Then I've seen situations where quite recently a gentleman um, was angry in the workplace and he he shouted at some women on the manufacturing line and a collective grievance came in and this was totally out of character with this individual and he'd also started looking disheveled um they didn't recognize him totally out of character and they were saying that he smelt and i said and they and the general manager said we want rid he's just trouble i mean whoa stop he's been with you a long time He's a really valued member of staff. He's good at what he does. There's something not quite right. 
how do you know you might be sofa surfing there might be a lot of issues back at home anyway um he was called to a meeting and i don't know whether this with me being an external hr but i uncovered that he was going through a divorce he'd been thrown yeah. out from his home and he was sofa surfing with friends and the hygiene standards weren't great where he was staying yeah so he would just try to do the best he could but as time went on his life was just falling apart and uh, he said i am so sorry about my behavior but he said i was looking at the messing around and thinking well here i am you know what have i got in my life my life has fallen apart i was so angry with the world how could they be so happy And he explained that he'd been drinking. He just, he was really at a place. He didn't know where to turn next. So I advised the company to support him in finding some accommodation. And he went into an over 55s complex. He's got his life back, really, really happy. But that company could easily have dismissed him. And that was so unnecessary because somebody took the time to understand what was going on for him give him a safe space, yeah. give him the support. And uh, he's a really valued member of the team. Um, Monday, you know, so like there was a great job with that. Yeah. And it's just recognizing it. You know, I think as a company, they weren't, um, they weren't used to seeing different things and, and just trying to understand what was going on for that individual. So they've got yeah. a HR support there. That's really, really good. The HR support manager. She does other functions as well, but she is really in tune with the people and she knows if anything's not quite right, she can actually sort of take them to one side, give them time, you know, have a chat, a cup of tea and actually just give them that space and to listen. Mm, So, yeah, yeah, I've not had any other issues since, but they're proactive now rather than reactive. Yeah. Yeah, and it is quite a natural reaction for an employer to see someone who's drinking and think just get rid we haven't got time for this Mm. they've broken the rules it's their it's their own fault they chose to come to work having had a drink or whatever end of story we're not going to support them what would you say to an employer who's kind of in that headspace yeah i would say that you know life is never a straight line we all go through life with unexpected curveballs and to know yeah. that you work in a place where they really do care about people and put people first, you get back so much loyalty, so much um, output from individuals that feel that they belong, that they've got a caring employer, that it just makes great business sense. You know, if they are well, they're going to perform well and the business is going to do well. It's quite simple, really. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I think, you know, there are some employers that will openly say, I don't know what to do. Um, can you kind of point me in the right direction? Or can you take care of this? Because I need to be front facing. I need to be 12 months on the line, making sure the business is doing well for everyone. So it's that admission to say there's some issues. We need help. And I think the well-being yeah. um, spectrum is changing. And I don't know if it always exists under HR. I'm seeing more and more people actually putting in a well-being manager. Um, yes, Ed which well-being. is brilliant. So I think it yeah. does need, you know, recognition for the work that people are doing out there right now. 
and HR is quite yeah. complex, but they HR need to be trained and not be so policy driven. You know, the policy yes. says, you know, this and you're out. Whereas if they actually yeah. peel back the layers with individuals and understood what was going on for them, um, and, you know, and not judge people. I think yeah. the best HR, those have gone through personal situations themselves and they have empathy. Yeah, they understand what it's to like, like to walk in someone else's shoes. So if somebody mm -hmm. presents themselves mm -hmm. in front of you and they're going through a divorce and they've hit the bottle, then you can actually have real empathy for them to say, mm -hmm. I get it. It's, you know, it's those feelings or emotions are a little bit like clouds. They will pass eventually. Yes. But, you know, you've got to find some tools, you've got to find some support to help you get through that period. Yeah, yeah. And and that support and that help doesn't have to be complex and it doesn't have to be expensive. No. Like you say, a simple one conversation with somebody can set them off on a completely different path yeah. and change the trajectory of their whole life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's such an important part of the job. Yeah. Um, and like you say, it, it's a shame that sometimes it does just get lost in the policy says this. So therefore, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. I always encourage employers to write policies with a degree of flexibility and also to state in the policy what supports available for people who come forward and disclose an alcohol issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you kind of go onto your company intranet and put in the word alcohol and see what comes up, inevitably what you'll find is a policy that tells you which disciplinary procedures to use if you find out that someone's drinking on duty yeah and that is terrifying for someone who's trying to find help with alcohol use just think well yeah. obviously i'll have to keep it secret then yeah and that's that's not right no it should be our policy is if you come forward and say i'm worried about my alcohol use we'll send you to this group or we'll give you this therapy or we'll give you this support whatever it is yeah and will support you so tell yeah. us and i think how sometimes employees yeah. changed I sorry think, i sorry i think sometimes employers send individuals to the eap line but that isn't a, a panacea you know you often need no. specific support so eaps are useful but you know sometimes they're just not enough no uh, have I told you my EAP story? I've, no. I've probably said it on the podcast before, but I went to my workplace EAP when I was worried about my drinking and I asked to go to an alcohol counsellor who I'd found local to me and they said that there was no funding for that because it was classed as rehab. Right. Um, but I, I was like, I don't need rehab. I just need a bit of help. But yeah. um they they wouldn't pay for it, but they did send me to a general counsellor and I went to my first meeting and I told her why I was there and she said, well, how much are you drinking? And I told her and then she told me how much she drank, which was a way, way more than I drank and she told me not to worry oh and I God. skipped out of that meeting and carried on drinking. Wow. I know, God. I know. You need, there's, you can't have people who drink giving people advice about their drinking you mm. need someone who has been there got the t been there done that got the t-shirt yeah. and doesn't drink anymore to really understand the, that issue yeah. and like you say it's specialist it's not generalist help that people mm. need oh gosh yeah 
I know it's a good story, isn't it? Yeah. But, well, oh. it's it's kind of a good story. I could have stopped months and months before I did if I'd had just a couple of sessions with the counsellor that I eventually paid to see. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> oh dear. So the last topic that I thought we could have a quick chat about, Mandy, is about the tone from the top as well. So this is something that I've seen quite a lot of, and I'm sure you will have some stories about this as well, but people behave how they see the senior leadership team behave in an organisation. And this can sometimes be where the alcohol culture comes from. In fact, Mm. often it is. There was a great article in, I think it was in HR Grapevine last week, about if the boss likes to party, is it a problem? And I just thought, yeah, this is exactly mm. what I'm talking about. And it was a a grievance that had been brought by somebody whose boss had, you know, basically forced them to do tequila shots and go out and then tried to feed them some meat mm. off a fork or something at a night. I don't know, just it sounded quite abusive and bullying and yeah. just not very nice. And I just thought, yeah, I bet you've seen a bit of this as well in your time. Yeah, I mean... I can think one organization I didn't because the boss was very, um, yeah, honestly, he was great. He was a mentor to me, but he, he never, it was like our social events would be, believe it or not, he'd invite us to his house, him and his wife would cook us dinner, the senior team would be there and nobody drank to excess. It was really, yeah, really, really nice. But I did work for another organization where, the MD and I remember going to black tie events and um, he used to like red wine and his white bib would always be splattered in red dots from red wine and he would be erratic and you yeah. used to worry about is, is he driving I would end up thinking I'd be sort of taking care make sure he's not driving and I met him many years later and he was still erratic still drinking um, but he would have somebody to drive but to excess and, you know, quite a yeah. elderly gentleman as well, but kind of encouraged yeah. everybody to drink. Um, so that was in the early part of my career, but to the latter part of my career in corporate, no, I didn't see that. And we were like, um, he was only in his 30s, my MD, and so was I. And the FC, we were like the the new team coming in, and it was all about being the best that you could be. Um, so I, I kind of... You know, things were starting to change for me in, from yeah. quite a young yeah. age, really. I just didn't know how to stop when um, I was going through the divorce. But it was only when I got ill that I actually started to think, I need to do something. So I could have stopped sooner as well if I knew there was something out there that I could have felt. I could have gone and said, I'm really conscious about, you know, I could do better. But I don't know yeah. what support is out there, really. And the stigma yeah, that used yeah. to be with it, you know, it's like the only thing I ever knew was AA. I didn't know there was anything else. Yes. So. Yeah. yeah. No, I didn't know there was anything else. No. And there is. There's so much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even, you know, like the simplest thing you can do is just go onto my website and download the resources for the Sober Curious and share them with your workforce, which I'm very happy for you to do yeah. at no cost, by the way. And it is just a fantastic resource. It's packed full of books and podcasts and groups that you can join, yeah. really low cost or a lot of it's free. Mm. And you can just help yourself 
um, through all yeah. of these resources and yeah. just getting that into workplace yeah. well-being sort yeah. of intranet sites yeah. is is a huge part of what I do actually I yeah. just think it's really valuable yeah but yeah. I can see you know in some, power. <laughs> yeah in some organizations where drink is kind of uh you know on a Friday we'll have a pizza and a bottle of bud or something it's kind of that's what we do around here well that's not for everyone you know, and it's that what sort of message are you sending out? Um, yeah. Or you see yeah. conferences where they go to a conference and it is about having a session, you know. So I've, I've not been exposed to that, but I have seen it. And obviously, um, or, you know, independent HR, we often don't go to our client's Christmas party because with this drink, often there is an issue and you're, off, yeah. you know, following the Christmas party, there's something that you need to um, resolve. Yeah. You know? Busiest day of the year, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Day after the Christmas party. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and some companies just don't have Christmas parties. Or they just tend to say, yeah. well, I'll give you something, you know, if you want to do something as a small team, then off you go. Or use yes. a gift. We're not doing Christmas parties. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know. I know, things have changed. Things have changed, definitely. Yeah, because that would be where if somebody wanted a pay rise, they'd start to have a bit of Dutch courage and start to say to their manager, or oh, things could get out of hand. Um, and then people would lose their inhibitions and start to express themselves, what they really thought of their manager. So there are lots of things. Anybody organising a Christmas party, you've got to be pretty brave these days because... There's no guarantee <laughs> that it's going to go smoothly. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we um, we encourage um, decentralisation of alcohol from the event. So you can still have alcohol there, but have something else to do that yeah. isn't just drinking. Uh, you will get better. Um, well, you reduce your risk of grievances and incidents happening yeah. as a result of the Christmas party. Um and we've got, again, on our website, we've actually got a list of 50 suggestions for, for things to do for your Christmas party that are uh, that put alcohol, you know, not front and centre somewhere, yeah. off to the side a little bit. So thank you, Mandy. I think I just have one more question for you, which is my usual question of what is your favourite book and why? Oh, I've got so many favourite books, but I'm going to give you a book I'm reading right now. And it's called Give and Take by Adam Grant. And if you've read any of his books, he's just amazing. It's literally recognising that in this world, we're either a giver, a taker or a matcher. And I'd like to think of myself as a giver, acting abundantly. And in return, you get so much back. But the takers, many of us can identify with people who just take and it can be quite draining. Or the matchers are a little bit like uh, if I give you a Christmas card, you're going to have to give me a Christmas card back. They're looking for, I've done something for you, you've got to give something back for me. And the science and the research has shown that uh, givers perform much better in the top level of performance than somebody who is a taker. And it's an interesting book and it uncovers behaviours. And being in HR, I study behaviours. I'm really fascinated by people and why people do what they do. So... Yeah, I've almost finished the book, um, but I'm telling everybody, read this book because it's really, really good. Um, it's quite, I yeah. think it's quite groundbreaking book. So it's been around for a while, um, but it'll captivate most people, I think, if you if you take it. I'll send you a copy, Janet. 
How about oh, that? Oh, Amanda, you don't need to do that. But I'd love to read it, though. So thank you. You see, you are a giver. You absolutely are. I feel like a taker now. No, you're not. Not at all. You're such a giver. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's really kind. Thank you. And thank you, Mandy, for all of the support that you've shown to Choose Sunrise. It's hugely appreciated for a teeny tiny little business like mine um, to have to know that people are cheering for you from the sidelines and sharing and just generally being a giver actually oh, absolutely Joe. <laughs> it's been a pleasure and i wish you every success and i'm right behind you so thank you for taking the time to speak to me today it's been great oh and thank you mandy what a great guest <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, Mandy, for being such a great guest and for getting in touch. You can find out more about Mandy's work at talkhrclub.co.uk or you can connect with Mandy on LinkedIn. It's Mandy Withers, the virtual HR director on LinkedIn. Um, So before we wrap up, I just wanted to give a shout out to a couple of events that are coming up. So um, I've been invited to talk at the Mental Health at Work conference, which is being run by Westminster Insights. And anyone who has got an interest in mental health at work, so if you're working in well-being, diversity, inclusion, or any of those kind of roles, you're very welcome to grab yourself a ticket and come along to that. It's at the Institute of Structural Engineers on the 1st of December, and I'll be presenting alongside some real big industry leaders. Um, So people like Lloyds of London are there presenting, which is exciting for me. Um, And my talk is going to be called End the Stigma to Reduce Harm. And then finally, I just wanted to give a shout out to our Sober Business Networking Group. Um, If you're listening to this because you're a sober entrepreneur or you Uh, are sober and you're in business and you'd like to network with others without the booze because uh, I think we all know how boozy networking can be Uh, come and join our network it's super friendly you get a directory listing on our directory of sober heroes which you can take a look at at um, soberbusinessnetwork.co.uk and we'll be hosting a business goal setting event on the 18th of January it's going to be a full day event we'll be over at campus in Manchester at Carl's uh, bar which is called Love From which is a pop-up alcohol-free bar in the heart of Manchester I'm really excited to be visiting Carl at that venue and to be hosting this event so tickets will be on sale for that by the time this podcast is live so come along and join us thanks so much for listening bye-bye if you'd like to learn more about creating an alcohol-safe workplace without killing the buzz visit choosesunrise.co.uk and head to the HR services page Let's end the stigma because nobody should feel afraid to ask for help with alcohol use.